But every week I want to read kind of our, our key verse, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Um, this is one of the last things that Jesus is saying to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And so in Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus' plan to use all power and authority and might that he had was to change the world, and he was going to do it through normal, everyday people like me and you. That was his plan. And so he gave all of that authority. He sent his Holy Spirit to come and empower us. And he says, I want you to walk around and tell people about the Father, right? He mentions the Father there. He says, hey, I want you to tell people about me. Let them know who I am, who Jesus is. And then finally, I want you to let people know about the Holy Spirit, that God is three in one. And I want you to teach them how to observe or follow or pay attention to all the things I've been teaching. So yes, invite them to be saved and rescued by me but invite them into a new way of living. You know, absolutely, Jesus came to rescue sinners so we could be forgiven and so we could live eternally with him. Absolutely. He did all of that to invite us into an eternal relationship with him. And he designed us to begin enjoying that relationship right now on this earth, that it would change our lives and it would impact the lives of people around us. That's what God has invited us into. And so as we're walking through this series, we've just, we've just looked at a few different things. So first of all, we looked at the target. What is a disciple? If Jesus is calling us to be disciples and to make disciples, what is a disciple? And so we're using these little shapes. If you're like me, it helps having really simple things that you can draw. I actually want to get, we got to get that together. I got a fun little treat for you guys later. But we had a kid sit and like map out the triangle and write all the things on little notes. Like, like eight-year-olds can do this. And so if you can draw a shape, you can remember what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus. It's a person that is being changed by Jesus. And it's someone who's on mission with Jesus. All three of those things are the components of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Followed, changed, and on mission. Then the next week, we talked about, okay, what does that process look like? If I start myself growing and following him, what's that growth process going to look like in my life? But also, if I'm intentionally pouring into the life of somebody else, how can I help them grow? How can I recognize where they are and how I can help them move to the next step? And the scripture uses over and over again the picture of the growth of a child. Everything from milk for an infant to becoming childlike in our faith and ultimately stepping into a place of maturity where we begin to feed ourselves and feed others. And so this is a little model of that growth process. Um, we start out as someone who's dead that doesn't know Jesus and needs a relationship with him. That person needs one thing. They don't need to learn how to become a mature follower. They need to be saved. They need to have a radical encounter with Jesus Christ that changes their lives. They need to be born again to repent of their sins and turn to Jesus. And so they need to be born again. And then from there, they start out just like an infant does. I shouldn't expect a brand new follower of Jesus to just have it all together. They're going to come into this relationship with him, young and learning and messy and needing lots of help. Diapers need to be changed. They need to be comforted when they're crying. They need to be fed like they need to be nurtured and taken care of. 
And so I'm not going to re-preach that whole message, but we walk through this growth process where we go from infant to a child that learns to walk and talk, starts asking a lot of questions, begins to feed themselves, and then finally a young adult that starts getting some freedom to learn, to grow, to step into some of their own adventures, freedom to fail along the way, freedom to do things maybe a little bit different, not unbiblical, but to be who they're uniquely made to be. If I just try to turn disciples into replicates of me, we don't need a, a bunch more Jakes. You might argue we don't even need one, but we definitely don't need more than one. We need people to be who God's called them to be, to raise up and be uniquely who they are. And so at that young adult phase, more and more, they begin stepping into that. And then finally, being a spiritual parent. And I think many of us, you know, we see ourselves on this wheel and we see ourselves growing in our relationship with God and and. We might have a hard time reaching the point where we say, hey, I think maybe it's time for me to be a parent and start pouring into somebody else's life. We can, we can stop at that young adult phase. But there's whole new things that God wants to do in you to teach you, to change you, to mold you that you're only going to learn as you begin to pass on things to someone else. And so don't be afraid. Don't shrink back and feel like I'm not ready yet. I don't have what it takes yet. All parents don't feel like they're ready when they first start. Go for it. Make a disciple. In fact, you actually can start making a disciple at any phase. You can be a child and love on an infant. You ever seen like a, a six, seven-year-old hold a little baby? You ever watched a two-year-old mimic what a five-year-old is doing? You can pass things on to someone that's even just a little bit further behind you than you are. Give what you have. And so if the target is being someone that follows Jesus, is changed by him and on mission with him, then this is what the process looks like as we begin to grow and mature in our faith. And then finally, it's vitally important that we understand what our part is if we're helping someone else to grow and follow Jesus. And so last week we looked at these three circles and we talked about how in any discipleship relationship, there's three parts going on. There's my part as the person that's pouring into somebody else. There's their part. They're the person learning to follow Jesus more and more. And there's God's part. And it is important that I don't try to do their part. I'm actually keeping them from growing if I try to do the walking for them. I can show them how to walk. I can encourage them on along the way. I can tell them to go for it. But if I'm making all the decisions for them, if I'm the one pushing them or trying to control the process or get them to go at my speed it's going to cause harm. And I'm definitely going to blow things if I'm trying to do God's job. God is the one who changes hearts and lives. He's the one that brings transformation. I am helping them learn to follow him. I'm helping them to learn to let him change them. I can't change them. And ultimately, I'm hoping they reach a point where they decide, I'm going to go on mission with Jesus too. I'm going to impact the lives of others just like my life has been impacted. And so understanding our role is vitally important. I, I mentioned a couple of things we have to let go of when we decide I'm going to start discipling someone. We have to let go of the need to control, and we have to let go of the need for credit. You may put a lot of time and a lot of effort into somebody else's life and kind of go unnoticed. And you know what? That's okay. It's about Jesus. It's about his kingdom. And it's about what God wants to do in that person's life. I don't need credit. And I definitely don't need to be in control. God's in control. And then the things I do bring to the table is being intentional. I'm impacting people whether I know it or not, but I can really make a difference if I'm intentional about it. If I recognize the people in my life 
that I do have some influence in their life and begin to be purposeful about loving them well and thinking about where they might be on that wheel and how can I encourage them where they are in their growth process. And then secondly, they need attention. They need time. They need care. I can bring that. I can be intentional and I can give my attention. And that's how I can make a difference. All right. So this morning, we're going to talk about four lost things. Now, it's very easy when we get into this passage. We're going to be in Luke 15 the whole morning. So if you'd like to follow along with your own Bible, go ahead and turn there. Save a little marker, Luke chapter 15. Um, we'll put the scriptures up on the screen if you want to follow along there. But um, it's important to recognize, number one, you are going to be one of these four kinds of people. You've probably already been there. You might even be one this morning, and you will probably be there again someday. These are, these are situations that we find ourselves in in our own walk with God and in our relationships with others. Secondly, you can guarantee that if you are pouring into the life of somebody else, um, if you have a home group, if you've got some people that you love on, that they are going to be in one of these phases of life at some point in time. These are the people that we are around all the time. And so Jesus is going to tell this story, and he talks about four different lost things. And they're all lost a little bit differently. And they also all need something a little bit different to come home. And so we're going to take a look at this story and see what we can learn about God's heart for lost things, about the different types of lost people, really. We're saying lost things because he uses some imagery like sheep and coins and then a couple of brothers. These are people. And so who are these people? How do they get where they are? What do they need when they're there? And what's God's heart towards them? So the, our passage starts out in Luke chapter 15. Um, we come across Jesus, and it says that the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. This happens over and over again in Jesus' life. All those outsiders, those sinners, they were drawn to him. There was another group of people that were often drawn to Jesus. That's the Pharisees and the scribes. But they grumbled. They weren't drawn because they were excited. They were actually just following the crowd. They're like, where are our people going? There they go. They're following that guy. What's going on over there? And they grumbled about the kinds of people that were drawn to Jesus and who he associated with. And so Jesus kind of sees this whole scene. He's, he's drawn, you know, these skeptical people, the Pharisees, the scribes. He's drawn these sinners that are coming to check him out. And he sees all of this and he hears the chatter. The Pharisees are saying, this man receives sinners and he even eats with them. What's up with that? How could he do that? And so Jesus told them this parable. Now, I just want to say for a minute, Jesus intended all of this to be grouped together. You know, how many of us have heard the story of the prodigal son? Or you've at least heard the phrase, the prodigal son, right? We've all heard that. Okay, well, that was a part of a larger story that Jesus told. And so all these people have gathered around, and he's paying attention to who his audience is. It means I'm going to talk to the four different kinds of people that I see in this crowd that are around me right now. I'm going to address them. And so Jesus tells this story of these lost things addressing the crowd that is gathered around him. So let's pay attention to who this audience is and what Jesus has to say to them. So the first part of the story in chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. 
And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. All right, so first of all, the lost thing, the sheep, what did the sheep do? It got lost. How does a sheep get lost? I can think of any number of ways, right? I've never really been around a bunch of sheep, but I've heard it often said that they're kind of dumb. I've heard that, right? Just kind of dumb sheep following along, going by, looking for something to eat, looking for somewhere to sleep. And so here's the sheep. We don't know how it's gotten lost, but it's wandered off. You know, we even have that song that we sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. Like, I just picture us being like that lost sheep, just kind of wandering off, and I've gotten misplaced over here to the side. And so here's this sheep. It's wandered off. I don't know what happened. It was distracted. It was looking for something to eat. It was unhappy where it was. It fell behind. We don't know. But something has happened where this sheep has been misplaced from the rest of the group. It's wandered off, and it needs to be returned. Now, does the shepherd just sit there and go, well, hopefully that sheep will figure it out one day and find its way home. Tough luck. Can't believe it just wandered off. That was pretty dumb. What does the shepherd in the story do? He goes hunting. He searches high and low. In fact, he puts so much value on this sheep that he's willing to leave the rest of the bunch that's safe and okay to say, it's important that I go find this one. He doesn't just cut his losses and go, well, 99 is still pretty good. No, I'm going to leave them in a safe, secure, open pasture where they are, and I'm going to go find the one that's missing. And so he hunts high and low, and he finds this sheep. What does he do when he gets to the sheep? Does he start telling the sheep how dumb it is? Is he, like, beating it with the shepherd's staff or whatever, kicking it? Like, is that the imagery? No. In fact, it's the opposite. Now, I don't know about you, but have you, ever, have you ever had an experience like this where maybe like a small child was lost and you had to go find them, like they wandered off at the grocery store? Maybe you've even had a pet that like escaped out of the house. We've got a couple of relatively new dogs in our home. They're about, I don't know, seven, eight months old now. And there's been a couple of times where they've kind of snuck off and they're running and, you know, I got to try to get to them. And, you know, they listen really well when they're in the backyard, But when they're kind of out in the open, suddenly they have no idea that I'm calling them. And if I get close, you know, it's a game to look at me and then run a little further and scamper away. Am I the only one that's experienced this? Anybody else? Okay, thank you. Got a few friendly faces that can relate here. Um, But usually what I have to do is actually pick them up, unless I was smart enough to bring the leash. Get them, pick them up. I can tell you, when I've carried my dog Charlie home, I have not been rejoicing going, Yes, we found him. Charlie's home. I'm not calling up my neighbor Thomas and saying, buddy, come on over. Let's throw a party. The puppy's home. I'm like, I'm irritated. I'm annoyed. I'm sweating. There's dog hair on me. I'm grumbling. I'm angry at Charlie. Right? That's all the stuff I'm doing. Jesus says this shepherd, it's not just that he isn't mean to the sheep. He rejoices. And notice he rejoices twice. He lifts the sheep up and carries him on his shoulders. That can't be light. That can't be easy. 
This thing is itchy, it's hot, it's got wool. Jesus is talking to people that live in a desert area. Like I'm out in the desert carrying this sweaty, nasty, hairy sheep on my shoulders. Who knows how long I've been walking looking for him. Now I've got to carry him all the way back. And it says his attitude was rejoicing. I'm happy that I found my lost sheep and got to bring it home. And I'm so happy that when I get back, I'm calling all my friends together to throw a party. Is that really how the church treats lost sheep? Do we really go looking in the highways and byways for people that have wandered off, for people that have been misplaced, for people that gotten distracted, they did something stupid, they fell in a rut? Do we really leave everything behind and work and strive and hunt and track them down and find them and rejoice when we find them and help them come home? Do they find a party waiting for them when they've returned home? I just wonder how full our churches would be if followers of Jesus live life this way, going hunting for lost sheep, rejoicing when they're found and bringing them home. That's what Jesus tells us to do here. And listen, I know he's not just talking about sheep because he says, this is just like what happens in heaven when a sinner repents. Verse 7. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy, more joy in heaven. This picture that he paints of throwing a party for the lost sheep falls short. He says the actual celebration is beyond that in heaven when one sinner repents. I love that. What a picture of God's heart for those who are lost and have wandered off. He's not angry and judgmental and going, those stupid people. He's going, I love them. And I want to go back after them. And I want to bring them home. And I want to throw a party when they make it. That's God's heart. And that's what he's inviting us into as those who would come across lost sheep in our lives. All right. Secondly, verse 8. He continues on. He says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and her neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. All right, now we have a whole different story and whole different imagery here. Now with the sheep, it's possible that the shepherd was neglecting a little bit and the sheep wandered off. It's also possible that the sheep was just being a knucklehead and wandered off. It made its own choice. Does a coin choose to leave its owner? Does a coin hop out of a purse bag and go rolling down the road trying to escape and find somebody else? No. If a coin gets lost, whose fault is it? It's your fault. He's actually saying there's a type of lost person that that we have missed that we have let slip through the cracks. There's the the kind of person, and and notice the imagery, it's a coin, it's valuable. It's so valuable that it's the kind of thing that a person would stop everything in their life and tear their house apart to find. There are actually people in our lives that are around us that fall through the cracks, that go unnoticed. They might be the person that's super quiet, that never speaks out in a group. They're the person that may come in and then drift away and... The truth is, we weren't loving them well. 
we weren't valuing them well. There's something that we've actually done that's allowed them to go missing. Will we stop and place value on that person that has slipped through the cracks? And will we hunt and pursue and go find them and bring them home? Notice the terminology here. I'm not just inserting my opinions into this. This woman that finds the coin in verse 9, when she's calling the neighbors together, she says, Rejoice for me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. I lost this. But you know what? I didn't let it stay lost. I tore apart the house looking for this thing. I turned the light on. I moved furniture around. I looked underneath things. I moved things over. I looked in secret hiding stashes. Like, I hunted high and low to find this. There's a careful search that takes place. And then she throws a party. Isn't that amazing? Now, I don't know what things might contribute to a coin getting lost. It might be something I've done for somebody to slip through the cracks. It also may just be some circumstance in life that has happened. Something hard has taken place. And it's just caused someone to to just kind of drift and maybe to go unnoticed. It's important that we identify the lost coins in our life and go hunting for them. And I think it's important that they know they're valuable, that we care enough that we place high value on them. This isn't just one in the crowd. You know, I think it's interesting that he changed um, the numbers he was using here, right? The sheep was like one of 100, and now he's talking about this, this thing that's been misplaced. He's like, this is one of 10. This has value. If you lost a tenth, of your possessions today, you'd feel that. You would know that. And you'd be trying to figure out what just happened to a tenth of the money that I had in the bank. You'd notice. It's valuable. And so often, the people that go unnoticed, that get missed, a lot of times it's because we miss their value. We don't recognize that face in the crowd. We don't see that person that's more off to the side or quieter or unnoticed. And so let's go hunt them down. Let's go find them. So we've got a sheep that's wandered off. We've got a coin that's been misplaced. And in both instances, the person that was responsible, the job is on them to go track down the lost thing. I'm going to go find the sheep that's wandered off. I'm going to go find the coin I've misplaced. I'm going to bring them home. And in both instances, what do we see? A party is being thrown. There's rejoicing. Much is being made of the returned item that was lost. And again, Jesus uses this imagery of a heavenly celebration over a sinner that's come home. And so verse 10, just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Same imagery. All right, let's continue on. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 now. Now this is is the story of what we call the prodigal son. There's actually two sons in this story. And so verse 11, then Jesus continued and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. I mean, can you imagine that level of hunger? Like how far has this guy dropped? Took all the riches that his father had 
and now he's looking at the pig's food and going, that's looking pretty good. I would say you're pretty hungry if you've reached a point where pig food is appealing to you. And so here he is, he's in want, and he says no one gave him anything. Verse 15, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. All right, so what's happening in this story? In some ways, it sounds a little bit similar to the sheep that's wandered off, right? Like we have a son that's left home. But in this instance, we have a much clearer picture of the choice the individuals made. With the sheep, all we know is it's a sheep and it's wandered off. Might be the shepherd's fault, might be his fault, might be a little bit of both. He just needs to be picked up and carried home. This child is saying some serious things to this father. First of all, he's saying, give me what's coming to me. Now, I don't know if you pick that up when we read it, but what he's saying is, I want my inheritance. You only get your inheritance when daddy dies. So you're basically saying, I wish you were dead. I don't want you in my life anymore. I just want what I get when you're gone. Okay, this, this kid has actively chosen to separate himself from his father. I'm leaving. I'm taking and I'm leaving. And so it's not just the reckless life that he lived once he took this stuff. It was the choice that was being made even as he was leaving. I'm making a conscious decision to rebel and leave my father's house, take what's coming to me, wish my father dead, and I'm gone. In fact, I'm getting as far away as I can. And he goes to a far off country. Now, we see the life that's being lived, right? We don't know exactly what he's doing. We know the elder brother accuses him of certain things. But we know at the very least the scripture uses the word prodigal or reckless or extravagant. He's blowing the money one way or another, the way he's living. And he's lost it all, and he's with the pigs. And I mean, you talk about rock bottom, he's hit it. And notice he prepares this speech, right? He gets his speech together. Okay, I'm not worthy to be a son. I'll be a servant. And he comes. And, and there's a couple things that are different in this story. What's the first thing that's obviously different that the father does different than what the woman did or what the shepherd did? Waited. The shepherd and the woman went and hunted down the things that were lost. But in this story, the father isn't searching the highways and the byways for his son. He doesn't travel to the far-off country and try to drag him back home. He waited. He hung back. He had patience. Can you imagine how painful that must have been? First of all, to be told what he was told. And then secondly, to know, I can't do anything to bring this kid home. See, there's actually some people that need to be hunted down and lifted up and carried home, there's other people who are not ready to do that. And you'd love to pick them up and bring them back, but they're going to come back kicking and screaming and they're not going to stay. 
And what it's actually going to require is patience. But see, even though we don't hear much about what's happening with the father while the son is gone, we know some things must have been happening in his life. Because look how he's able to respond when he sees the son coming. First of all, he saw the son a far way off. How do you see something that's a long way off? You're watching for it. You don't see something a far way off unless you're looking. So he is already watching for his son. He can't wait for his son to come home. So he hasn't written him off. He's not done with him. He just knows I can't bring him home. He has to decide to come home. But I'm watching and I'm waiting. And then based on the father's response, we know where his heart was. His heart had already forgiven before the son ever asked for it. The prodigals in our lives are going to hurt us. You, you stick with this long enough and decide to pour into some people's lives, you're going to get hurt along the way. They're going to leave you. They're going to abandon you. They're going to say hurtful things on the way out. And we can let our heart become hard and calloused and cold and try to protect ourselves and hold themselves at arm length. Or we can ask the Father to do a miracle in our heart, that our heart can be a little bit like His, where we can forgive even when the person's not asking for it. And we can watch for them and be patient while they're a long way off so that when they return, we can respond the way the father responds. He goes running. Now, I don't know if you know this about that culture. The dads don't run. That's shameful. That's embarrassing. In fact, in order to run, he probably had to like pick up his robe and like expose his long johns. (laughs) He didn't care. He was pumped that his son was coming home. He didn't care about the shame or embarrassment it had caused him and his community as he had to get rid of a bunch of his possessions to let his kid leave. He ran to meet him, and he met him with compassion. It says as soon as he saw him, he had compassion. He met him with compassion. He celebrated. And what I love about this, if we notice, the son had a whole speech prepared, and he only got about halfway through it. And the dad just interrupts him and ignores it. He doesn't even address the son. He talks to the servants Hey, go get all the good stuff. We're throwing a party. Get the robe. Get the shoes. Get the ring. Kill the calf. It's party time. My son is home. This dad, again, rejoicing, joyful, welcoming. This is the heart of the father. And this is what he calls us to be like if we're going to love people in his kingdom. People are going to leave, and we're going to have to choose to love them well. And so here's the father running, celebrating, embracing He embraces, he kisses, there's compassion. He's watching, he's waiting, he celebrates. This is the attitude of the father. And notice, it still continues to cost him something. See, he'd given a lot to this son. There may be people in our lives that we give a whole lot to as we pour into them and love on them. And they may squander that. And when this son returns home, He doesn't leave him there in his ratty clothes, smelling nasty. Okay, I'll spend some more. I'm going to give him the robe right out of my closet, the best one I've got. I'm going to get him a nice pair of shoes. I'm going to put a ring on him. We're going to throw a party like we haven't thrown before. He lets it continue to cost him something in order to welcome his son, to love him, and to, to invite him back home. All right, can we do one more? Y'all hanging in there? Okay. Luke 15. Verse 25, there's one more lost person in this story, and that's the elder brother. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. 
And he called one of the servants. Notice he's already, he doesn't even know what's going on yet. And he's already like resisting. There's a party going on. He doesn't go running in like, all right, let's go. He's like, hmm, this seems fishy. What's going on? So he calls one of the servants and asks what these things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come. Your father's killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. Um, Another passage literally says pleaded or begged him. But he answered his father, look. Think about that. Look at the first word out of his mouth of his dad. Look. Look here, you. Accusing, angry, frustrated. Look, these many years I've served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, I mean, that's when you know your brother's really mad at you. And it's, you're not my brother, you're dad's kid. This son of yours <laughs> has squandered, um, sorry, this son of yours, uh, where am I at? But when this son of yours who's devoured your property with prostitutes, maybe that's true, I don't know. The rest of the story didn't say that. You killed the fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. That wasn't just a nice sentiment. The beginning of the story told us that when the younger son came and wanted his inheritance, it forced the father's hand to go ahead and separate all of his goods. And so the elder brother got his portion or his share, and the younger brother got his share. In that culture, that actually would have been a two-thirds, one-third arrangement. The younger brother would have gotten a third of all the dad had, and the elder brother would have gotten two-thirds. So he's, he's literally speaking the truth when he says, all I have is yours. The dad doesn't own anything anymore. He gave it away. His elder son owns everything. So he's like, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. What do you mean I haven't given you a goat to throw a party? It's all yours. It's all available to you. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this, your brother. Notice he personalizes it again. This is your brother. This, your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost and is found. See, the elder son is lost too, yet he's right there living at home. He's angry, he's resistant, he doesn't feel that intimacy and closeness with the father. He's living at home and acting like he doesn't have anything. He's acting like he's living without. He may have obeyed every one of his father's commands, but his heart was cold towards his father. Now remember the audience that Jesus is talking to. He's surrounded by sinners who are happy to be around him. They're joining the party, they're eating with him. And who's upset? The scribes, the Pharisees, the ones who knew better, they're upset. They're refusing to join the party of the sinners who've returned home. They're going to be people that we are loving and pouring into who are elder brothers, who are Pharisees that refuse to come into the party. And you know what we're supposed to do? We invite them. We plead with them. We reason with them. We remind them of what they have. We remind them of the Father's heart. It's right to celebrate those who are lost that are coming home. But notice the one thing that's different from this story and the rest of it. See, Jesus stopped talking right there. All three of the other lost things were found by the end of the story. They were all found and they were all celebrated. What wasn't found? The elder brother. It's left with a question mark. Jesus still loves 
and invites Pharisees to join the party, to come and have the Father's heart, to love and to celebrate lost things, lost people, and welcome them home. And the question is, will the Pharisees join the party? There are going to be people that it's our job to remind them of God's heart, to invite them to join the party, to plead with them to, to join in. But again, just like the younger son is different than the coin and the sheep, so is the elder brother. The dad doesn't pick him up, put him on his shoulders and carry him into the party. He has a choice to make. Will he join in? See, this is the reality. There are different types of people that we are going to encounter in our life when we're loving on people. And being able to ask God, okay, Lord, where's this person at that, that's kind of wandered? And did I blow it? Did I, did I lose a coin here? Did I, need to, did I need to remind this person they're valuable? Do I need to go find them and welcome them home? Or somebody just kind of wandered off, and maybe I'm thinking they're being a prodigal, but really they just kind of wandered off and made some mistakes, and if somebody would just go after them and invite them back, they'd be back, and we could welcome them in. Or is this someone that's resistant and rebelling, and they're gone, and I need to just lovingly wait? I need to give my own heart to the Lord and learn to forgive and pray over them and have compassion for them and be ready to welcome them when they're back. Do the prodigals in our lives know that they can come home? See, of, of everything else going on in that younger son's life, he knew he could go home to his dad. That tells us something about the father that was waiting. Do the prodigals in our life know they can come home? Or do they sense that there's a cold-hearted elder brother waiting for them as opposed to a loving father or mother waiting for them? And then finally... Are there people in my life or even in my own heart, am I resistant to that party that God's trying to throw for lost people? Am I, am I the rule follower that's trying really hard and working really hard and having it all together and, and living like I'm just barely getting by instead of realizing everything the Father has is mine? Everything, it's there, it's available. I get to live in his house. Imagine living in the house of this awesome guy. How cool would it be to have a father like this? The elder brother lives there. And so we need to be reminded, and we need to remind others, we live in Dad's house, and he's shared everything that he has with us. We have a great inheritance from him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, first of all, I want to thank you that I once was lost, and now I'm found. I don't ever want to miss that or forget that. God, I know the path to becoming an elder brother is to forget that. And so God, thank you that you have found me when I've wandered. When I've just slipped through the cracks at times, God, you've made your love so clear to me and rescued me. God, when I've been rebellious and resistant, you've waited patiently and welcomed me home. God, even when I've been the elder brother and crossed my arms and been frustrated, you've invited me back in and reminded me of the truth of your love for me and for your people. God, would you help us to see the people in our lives that we are walking through life with together, would we be able to see them with your eyes, the eyes of the shepherd, the eyes of the woman, the eyes of the loving father? God, give us those eyes to see people. And Lord, would you give us wisdom and discernment in each situation to know how to handle it? Do we chase them down? Do we track them down? Do we wait patiently with compassion? Do we plead and invite them to come back in? God, give us wisdom to see that stuff. And Lord, if we've been hurt along the way, if we get tired of carrying that sheep back, if we get tired of tearing the house apart, looking, God, if we're exhausted by the waiting and the wondering when the son's gonna return home, 
Lord, if we're tired of dealing with the elder brother that's resistant, God, help us to forgive. Help us to love. Renew our strength. Help us remember that you're the one ultimately bringing them home. And we just get to participate. God, we love you. Help us to continue to grow in how we can live life together. Being followers of Jesus. Jesus being changed by you and being on mission with you and impacting the lives of others around us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.